toll roads in Tennessee. With a $2 billion surplus, why on earth would we need to further punish taxpayers by making them pay more to drive on the roads? And why was this outrageous bill filed under cover of darkness? Join us this week to discuss the mendacity of our Tennessee Republican legislature before we shift to address the failure of the federal government to defend our sovereignty from Chinese espionage balloons. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. That sounded like Barry White. So, um, I actually have a... Keep this rolling a little bit. I actually have a really good reason for starting with this, Gary. I hope so. I hope so. Today, so this... Today meaning February 15th when this podcast airs. February 15th, 1987 was the day that I met my wife. Okay. So, when this podcast airs, those who are listening, you're listening to... Um, my 36th anniversary of the meeting of my wife, 10th wow. Presbyterian uh, Church in Philadelphia, and uh, this was this is one of our songs. So, honey, happy uh, anniversary of our meeting. Well, that's sweet. How's that for a sentimental beginning? That's very sweet. Good on you, Kevin. I'm gonna make my wife jealous now. Aw. Did you say? Hang on a second. Did you say 10th Presbyterian? 10th. Yeah. Oh, I've never. I, that's a new one on me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Tenth Presbyterian, um, pretty pretty important church in the in the cultural movement. Um, PCA Church. Doctor James Boyce was the pastor when we were there. He's since deceased, and they've been through a couple other pastors since then. But that church actually was one of the first churches to have a gospel centric response to AIDS and the homosexual crisis in Center City, Philadelphia. Hmm. And it was compelling because it did not, they didn't shirk sin. And I heard, I remember one time sitting uh, in church, listening to a guy who was dying of AIDS and he was talking about his journey through sin and homosexuality and how he had come through that, but was dying. But you could see the grace of God in his body language, in his words, he knew that he was forgiven. He repented of his sin. He wa- It wasn't an embracing of sin, right, and pretending that this is not mm-hmm. rebellion against God, but he was transformed, and they had a ministry. Um, it was real godly compassion. Yeah, it was. So that was, where, that was the church where I met my wife, again, February 15th, 1987. So that's why we started with that song. We could use a few more gospel-centric responses to things going on in our culture right now, right? Amen. How about in Tennessee, Gary? Lots of stuff going on, right? <laughs> Man, I got to tell you. So I've got two things. One I'm pretty fired up about. I'll save that one because it, it's it's fresh. I'll save that one um, in, for in a moment. Okay. But I got, <clears throat> I received a message uh, actually from a, a someone that's that's followed us for a while and actually uh, volunteering right now, helping us keep up with legislation. And she listened to the podcast that came out this week and about the conversation. By the way, I really enjoyed the conversation with Fux about South Africa. Like it for me, and I know for a lot of people, I'm sure it's very eye opening just to hear a, a real time 
experience of th- something that's happening overseas that whenever after talking with him it, it sounds a lot more like yeah that could easily yeah be here in america yeah got a lot of i got a lot of comments as well so like that episode so she listened to the episode about load shedding and she just happened to come across a piece of legislation that says something very similar that uh, and i and i i looked at it before I, I came up here it's currently not in law we have a bill house bill 601 also, interestingly, this is you see very few of these. This is a bipartisan bill. It's sponsored by a Democrat in the House and a Republican in the Senate. And they don't use the term load shedding. They will define this bill would define for the first time in Tennessee law in a utility the idea of load management. Load management. And it's interesting. It seems a little bit underhanded mm. because what it does is it's introducing the idea of load management, but the bill uses it in such a way that it's to prioritize hospitals. So what the bill does is, okay, whenever it's time to go through some load management, and again, defines that in law for the first Mm -hmm. time, we need to make sure that we prioritize medical facilities in the load management. And I thought, wow, that's... What does that sound like? Sounds like load shedding. Well, it sounds like essential... Versus non-essential, uh, right. right? Yeah. The, the the COVID tyranny was declaring most people non-essential, and then the government decided unilaterally who was important in society, who could be free to carry on their work, who could be free to participate in society. That's outrageous. Yeah. And again, of course, it's prioritized on the medical community. Yeah. Who, who do you think is advancing that bill, or who do you think is behind writing that bill? <laughs> right. How, what else does Vanderbilt control? What else does the healthcare community control in Tennessee? Well, number one, well, yeah, I am surprised. I, I'm surprised that we literally just talked about this like new idea on the podcast and sort of thinking about, gosh, you know, could that act? Should we get used? Could that come to America? And literally, we're talking about mm. load management in in Tennessee legislation right now and conditioning people to. Accept. To accept it. Yeah. That's right. That we used to live in a free and civil society where Americans would never accept. This is rationing. We're rationing everything, rationing energy. They want us to accept this. But do you see how they do it, though? Because, Kevin, you should accept it. I mean, f- by gosh, these are hospitals, hospitals, Kevin. Yes. I mean, don't you care about the sick, those in need, Kevin? I care about them a lot more than hospitals who <laughs> want to um, twist and turn their bodies into unrecognizable <sighs> specimens. So... Anyway, I wanted to throw that out there. Um, mm. Thank you, Rebecca, for uh, bringing that to my attention, and thanks for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. And boy, it's just a, so. Anyway, any of you in Tennessee, go check that out. You can go to capital.tn.gov. It's our legislature's website, and you can check out HB six zero one load management. Wow. All right. Next thing I want to talk about in Tennessee. Now, this again, I'm just finding this out. I was updating, you know, right now, if you go to TennesseeStands.org and you go on the menu on our website and you click on Act and then Legislative Priorities, that's our Take Action page. That's where we have all of the bills listed that we're tracking, and you can download the bill, you can track the bill, and you can take action. You can click a button right there, and you can send emails to these committee members and voice your support or opposition to these bills. And so I'm I'm populating that through, and something comes across my my feed that I'm not sure if he they were supposed to put out or not because it was this representative that 
I almost think kind of spilled the beans. This week, the governor in the in his state of the state address unveiled his transportation modernization act. Toll roads. You know, we've got toll roads coming to Tennessee. Like that's modern. (laughs) Yeah. Toll roads, a thing of the past. Yeah, been around. Because, you know, we raised taxes in 2017 with the Improve Act. We raised gas taxes to pay for infrastructure. And that was going to take care – that was going to heal everything. That was going to take care of our infrastructure. Toll roads. And now just a few years later, not only did we raise taxes and we're, and we're keeping that, that tax base there, we're now going to put an additional fee on the taxpayer to now use roads, which, by the way, is a tax, mm-hmm. right? But Republicans just don't like to call them taxes. We call them fees. <clears throat> By the way, before you go forward with that, aren't we flush? We, d- doesn't our governor and our Republican majority always boast about the fact that Tennessee has extra cash? We have right now today somewhere plus or minus at $2 billion in our in our rainy day fund. Like in the fund. We have $2 billion in the fund. It's the largest it's ever been in state history. And we've been operating on a, on roughly the last three years a three billion dollar surplus. This year, so far, we are on track for a five billion dollar surplus. And we need with two to, billion already in the in the rainy day fund. And does anybody ever talk about what they're going to do with this rainy day fund? Well, no, because we need to make sure that we can give a billion dollars to woke corporations like Ford, and we can build stadiums. God forbid, we're not going to build That's roads. Right. That's Kevin. right. I forgot about that. Yeah, you got to understand where the money needs to go because we have to create jobs, Kevin. Don't you understand how this works? <laughs> I just thought of something. The rainy day fund would be used for a domed stadium in the event of rain. <laughs> That's right. right? We have a domed stadium. It makes total sense. Um, I think actually they're not doing a dome, but just thought I'd throw that out there. So. He mentions this Transportation Mm. Modernization Act, which is the introduction of toll roads. By the way, worth noting, the governor doesn't like to call them toll roads. He calls them choice lanes. Choice lanes. Because you have a choice. (laughs) You can drive in in the congestion or you can choose to drive through what looks like complete freedom um, but you're going to pay a f- you're going tra- to they're going to charge you a fee. Dang it, Gary, that's the <laughs> same thing that Senator Jack Johnson told me when I wanted to go freely into a grocery store and it looked like they were going to be imposing mask mandates. He told me I had a choice. I could collect my groceries on the curb yeah. if I didn't want to wear a mask in the store. That's right. You don't have to go inside oh the grocery store, Kevin. You can just be satisfied. They'll bring it to you. I mean, in fact, it's even better. <sighs> All right. So here's the interesting thing. Here's what I want Tennesseans to understand. This bill, and, and you got to understand, this is on the heels of this new world of transparency. The House has this new transparency dashboard. There was a press release put out. This is going to be the most transparent legislature you've ever seen in Tennessee, right? Well, I found out today, and again, this is like through secret channels. No one, no one's even talking about this. It's the thing. The Transportation Modernization Act has already passed subcommittee this week. We thought it was still a caption bill. Tuesday, it's going into full committee, which we're just finding out about. HB 321, carried by William Lambert, is going to Transportation Committee in the House. But get this. It's already passed subcommittee, which we didn't know about. So we couldn't take action. We couldn't inform citizens. We couldn't ask them to contact their legislators. And by the way, there was no bill. The only thing that was available online was was a caption bill. And by the way... 
We didn't even know until today that it was HB 321. Proving again the dangers of these caption bills we've talked about, right? You slide in the trouble at the last minute before anybody can uh, arm up against it. So it gets worse. So we find out today that this big omnibus bill is... HB 321, and it's already passed subcommittee, and it's already been amended. So the the amendment that makes the bill was put on the bill on Wednesday, which means it should be public information. Mm-hmm. It should be there. So get this. I go, I'm on the website. I'm on it right now. Kevin, I'm on HB 321. It's still the caption bill that reads one paragraph. It's a half a page. The amendment's not there. It's heading to full committee on Tuesday. And the amendment is still not on the website. So I contacted one of my friends that that does this work as well, and she took me to the new transparency dashboard. We went to the new dashboard that's supposed to be real-time information, what Speaker Sexton said. This is the same information that the legislators see. We want you to see it. Guess what? The amendment's not there. It's not there. All right. So I got the amendment, though. I can't. Oh, you can't tell. Tell you that later. Okay. When we over a bourbon. All right. But I have the bill. Right now, the only place a citizen in Tennessee can see this 32 page omnibus bill is at TennesseeStands.org on our take action page. Mm. That's where it exists for you to see. In case anybody wondered about the value of Tennessee Stands, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. And I got one more nice little nugget for you. Guess who the chairman of the subcommittee? that passed this bill that no one yet has seen. Guess who the chairman of that committee is? Senator House. House. Williamson County. Sam Whitson. The same guy running the transparency campaign ethics bill to make sure that Tennessee stands and, (laughs) and nonprofit organizations are transparent and accountable to the government because it's transparency for you that's right <laughs> not but for them not for them isn't that, oh a, isn't that incredible the irony when i hear people talking about transparency bills it always makes me feel like someone who who claims very publicly that he is a humble person yeah it's just the the fact that they issue that is a contradiction in terms and it's it's infuriating do you know more though about how this Again, it sounds like an HOV lane rather than a separate toll lane or just yeah, has like an easy pass thing that if yep. you're traveling in the light, in the quote unquote free lane, which is really. <laughs> they the have lane. these all over North Texas. And and before I moved here in 2017, I, I drove on these frequently um, because they're super expensive. So you got to watch out. Right. But boy, <laughs> it I mean, literally, they may lie They're in Texas. They call them express lanes. And it's kind of an additional avenue to sort of bypass congested areas of interstate. And you're talking about the ones in the middle in Texas? They actually run in between? Well, those are HOV lanes. Oh, well, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So, sometimes they're in the middle. Sometimes they go underneath, like on, on uh, the LBJ Expressway. Mm-hmm. It, they actually It was a $2.3 billion project. Uh. That goes underneath. But basically what it is is you pay a fee to drive an express lane that yep. allows you to bypass. You may have a five-mile stretch during rush hour that takes 30 minutes, mm-hmm. but this is going to take you five, right? Yeah, they, you ha- get- they have them outside of D.C. They have them outside of Pittsburgh that I've encountered. Now, you're going to pay somewhere between $1 to $2 a mile to use this this express lane. You know, but so I, 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 did, I calculated, like in Texas, that five-mile stretch on LBJ uh-huh. – 
If you were driving that in rush hour traffic every day, that's over 200 bucks a month. If you drive in there and back, if you drive that stretch, five mile stretch, if you drive that every day on, during rush hour, that's over $200 a month. And you can see that's how, a budgeted item for for almost all of America. Yeah, and you can see who's going to use it, right? Corporations are going to use it, and they're going to put it into their overhead and their overall expenses, which is going to work its way into more expensive product, which you will buy. So whether or not you're driving in that lane, you're going to be paying for those fees. Yeah, worth noting, and I, I did a video on this, but it's worth noting these contracts that these states sign with these private corporations that build these roads Mm -hmm. for 50 years for 50 years the state signs a non-compete the state cannot build any additional roads in that vicinity to relieve any other congestion that might be happening really well why might that be because (laughs) you're forcing everyone into the choice lanes right they want it's a business kevin they want their return on investment. So states sign a non-compete where they won't build any other roads in that area to, for, for the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. So the taxpayer's only option for 50 years, if they you know want relief, is to, to pay the piper and to use these private privatized roads. So what you're saying, Gary, is that traffic congestion is not accidental. Well, you know, when you put it that way, <laughs> maybe it's not. Yeah, maybe there's, there's money to be made. Anyway, welcome to Tennessee. Oh, my goodness. Well, last week, right after we it actually happened while we were in the studio recording. And by now, all of America and the whole world knows about this Chinese balloon that clearly came from China, came across the Aleutian Islands, up through Alaska, down through Canada, across the northern plains into Montana, where it was discovered by a farmer. (laughs) Then into Missouri, right? A little bit into Tennessee. Eventually worked its way over to South Carolina, out into the Atlantic Ocean. Then, then of course, the U.S. government says, yes, now we can shoot it down. Once it's over the ocean. Yeah. Once it's done its deal. Now, what's interesting is... Did you see the meme as the balloon was crossing Montana? It's the the brave heart guy. It says, hold! And then (laughs) it's over Tennessee. Hold! (laughs) And then it's over the ocean. Now! (laughs) (laughs) That is... There are so many questions. <clears throat> First of all, you cannot believe that the government did not know about this, right? Had not this farmer in Montana discovered this balloon, they never were going to tell us, right? And yet, once it was exposed, what did they do? Oh, we can't shoot it down now because there might be loss of life or, or damage. We're talking about in the middle of Montana, Right. Where you have anybody who's driven in Montana and Wyoming. I remember one time when my sister lived in Wyoming, driving from one corner of the state to the other. And I was afraid we were going to run out of gas. There weren't gas stations for like 100 miles. Mm -hmm. And then waiting to blow the balloon out of the sky, not with a laser, not with a, a, a couple of bullets which would pop the balloon. No, we shoot a Sidewinder missile into the base of the balloon where all the electron and all the vital components that we need to know about blow it out and then let it fall into the sea over like a 7 or 15 square mile radius where now you have to deploy divers to pull it out. Is there any question that all of this was not intentional. They did not want you to know what it was. Yeah. Why in the world, if the United States wanted to take that balloon out, they would never have let it come into the United States. It would have been taken out before it got to Alaska. The fact 
that they didn't take it out until it got to the ocean shows you how, you know, we've talked about on this program and in other areas about how the Biden administration, not just Joe Biden himself, but so much of the apparatus of our federal government is controlled assets of the Chinese Communist Party. So the question we need to ask, and and Americans need to wake up to this, is why? Why in the world would they do this? By the way, for them to suggest, oh, we knew what sites they were over, I mean, they were flying over sensitive sites, intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBM, launch sites, nuclear sites, all of the vital information, and ta-da, 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 guess what? Last week, we also learned that now China has officially surpassed us in its number of intercontinental ballistic missiles. Wow. So you have that information coming out at the same time as this balloon over our our uh, assets, and most people of real intelligence and who care about the security of the United States say that, number one, the balloons were meant to to know where our response is, right? In, in the old days... We used to operate under uh, mutual assured destruction. This is before yep. Reagan. Mad. Um, yeah, yep. mad. We have 30,000 nuclear warheads, and at that time it was mostly Russia, right, building up to as many 30,000, 50,000 nuclear warheads. And so the idea was, okay, you push the red button there, then I'm just going to push mine, and we're going to obliterate each other. During the Reagan administration, we shifted from that policy to a policy of missile defense so that we could reduce the nuclear risk overall And it also said, well, even if Russia did push that button, we had the capacity to take it out, especially in mid-course in space where there's no debris that falls and there's no fallout. We had the capacity to stop that. Otherwise, you know, under MAD, yes, you could destroy your enemy's city or your enemy's country, but you're not doing anything for the Americans who are sitting for 33 minutes just waiting for this nuclear blast Mm. to take them out. Well, of course, during the Obama administration— we greatly reduced our spending on missile defense and protection. You know, we actually developed airborne laser systems, which would take out, you know, there's three phases of missile defense. There's launch phase, there's mid-course phase, and there's terminal phase. The terminal is all we have of any effect, and terminal is the most dangerous because you're waiting till the very last minute when the nuclear bomb is back into the atmosphere coming right over Mm. your city. And when you take it down, there is collateral damage because you blow it up in the atmosphere. And if you miss, it's too late. If you take it in the mid-course phase, it's in mid-course usually 20 minutes, at least if it's far away like in China or Iran or Russia. And again, as I said earlier, that's a safe place to take it out because the fallout all stays in space. But Which the, I guess is what Reagan's Star Wars initiative was all about. That's what this entire missile defense was, yeah. yeah. Well, and But the third phase was taking it out on the launch pad, right? Through satellites, we knew at the moment a nuclear warhead was leaving the ground from an enemy base or an enemy silo, we had the ability and developed the ability via airborne laser missile, ABL, to take that out as soon as it leaves the launch pad. Not only is that the safest place, but it also causes collateral damage on the enemy who shot it, right? right? And it's intended, of course, to... incentive not to launch. Exactly. Incentive not to launch. So... Having dismissed with all of that technology, we we literally, in the Obama administration, finished developing ABL, and then we mothballed it. Stunning. Unless you understand, remember that the United States, if you ask why would we do this, well, 
what kind of individuals fill most of the institutions, what lead most of the institutions of government and business in America today? When you think about their worldview, what is their worldview? Yeah, progressive mostly. Yeah, and progressives believe what about the United States vis-a-vis the world? Well, we got we got too much power. Yeah, United States needs to be knocked down, knocked down, knocked yeah. down, right? You because to, they're to go glo- have an apology tour. Yeah, so they're globalists, right? They're connected with World Economic Forum, United Nations, all everything, World Bank. Yeah, we need to create global equity, not American strength. <clears throat> and so, if that is your goal then even though they may wear red, white, and blue, they may have a little lapel pin on their jackets, they might um, talk using words that sound American, they might be born here and raised and go to American schools, but their ideas are globalists. And if their ideas are globalists, United St- a free United States is the only remaining impediment to them establishing this global hegemony that they've been working on. So... I think that is the window into why a balloon like this is able to go over every sensitive area. And then not only do they destroy it after it's committed its crimes, but they destroy it in such a way that the evidence itself Mm -hmm. is destroyed. I just say, wake up, American. American citizens need to understand that while the Chinese Communist Party has been at war with America for decades, our government is at war against us. Man, that... What you just said sort of really struck to the heart. It's like that because a lot of folks were saying you know, that was a test by the Chinese, right? Sort of to see what our response was going to be. And that denotes the fact that perhaps we were complicit in it to begin mm-hmm. with. But otherwise, you know, not doing anything as it was crossing, you know, border to border here in America shows certainly the impotence of United States leadership. But as you were saying, imagine, though, this thing went from coast to coast. Really, it it shows the the impotence and apathy of the American people. I mean, the fact that that thing made it from coast to coast and no one, whether or not they had the ability to, I don't know, responded well in defense. So there's a little bit of good news about this. One, it's so frustrating and it's devastating as an American to think that your own government that's meant to protect you really wanted this to happen without any exposure. The fact that it was discovered by a Montana farmer and then you had governors of Montana and Missouri seeking information from the Pentagon and from the Department of Defense, and they didn't get any about this. But I don't know if you saw over the weekend, I saw a number of interviews on the streets on major media and people who you would otherwise would expect to say, we need universal health care and, you know, private property shouldn't be allowed and all that. They were saying, oh, my gosh, we need to take that thing down. I, I think it it awakened in the in the general population such a a a visceral response. Now, they should have been awake, obviously, before this time. But I think that's one bit of good news is that overall Americans became that much more aware of how we're um, at danger. But I want to point out to you... That we still have enemies that hate America <laughs> oh, yeah. across and, the world. And, and they're, they're well-positioned to take us out. But I want to, I want to point out one thing that was uh, happened as a result of this, which is really good news. By the way, one asterisk. Electromagnetic pulse is also one of the biggest threats that could come from a balloon. And although this particular balloon did not have any ordnance the ability to detonate that at, we know of yeah, well it, they would have detonated if they no, if sure. they had an EMP okay. but to detonate 
a nuclear bomb at 60,000, 80,000, 120,000 feet over the country has the potential to take out all transformers and basically to dark the United States. And if they dark all of the power grid, the problem is you don't have anyone to restart it, right? If you knock out the power grid in the West, then you can funnel electricity over there and get it restarted eventually. But if you knock out the entire power grid, then we really go back to living like we did 100 years ago, but our population is multiple times more. So you have people are immediately going to be starving. They're going to be fighting over water and basic supplies. You won't be able to have transportation, no bank transactions. That's one of the biggest threats from a balloon is that electromagnetic pulse. But let me... Well, I was gonna, before you go, go to that next, the next thing, what about the theory that, of course, maybe it was too high in the atmosphere for that to be meaningful. I don't know, but there was a theory that, you know, what if... The concern that what if you shoot it down or shoot it or whatever, and there's a a, a bioweapon, like it, it exposes, it's it's carrying, you know, some sort of, um, you I, know, vaporized bioweapon. Yeah, it's, it's possible. I think that's pretext for the government to justify waiting till it was over the ocean to shut mm-hmm. it down. I think they knew. Yeah, you don't understand. We were just being cautious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they knew darn well what was on it, and what it was capable of doing. They must have, because they remember the other thing the Department of Defense told us last week before they shot it down was, oh, we know what they're doing, so we have now taken the the proper reactionary um, response on the ground to protect these sites from being seen. Well, why didn't they do that before the farmer in Montana saw this, right? And if they had the capacity to do that, then they must know what's hanging from the bottom of this balloon. By the way, side note, you know they used a, an F twenty two, because which we which we had talked about a little bit on the on yeah. the show. So the F twenty two, unfortunately, um, is no. Then you longer, say that was the one that could go up to like sixty thousand feet. It's the or only it's like the only manned aircraft uh, in the United States that can go up to sixty thousand mm-hmm. feet, and so it was the only aircraft that could take it out. Unless we took it out by laser, I still think they should have taken it out by laser, but they didn't want that. They wanted to destroy it. I mean, it was like overkill. It was like taking a sledgehammer to kill an ant. That's what I thought when I saw that they sent an F-22 to take out a balloon. Yeah. Like, really? But even to look at it, and they could have taken unmanned aircraft to look at it, but but an F-22, back in the Obama administration, the F-22 was taken out of production. We now had, we, we got to 187 um, F-22s that were ever made. They were the most technologically advanced and still are to this day, fifth-generation fighter. And the technology of the F-22 is what was stolen and or given to the Chinese. So the Chinese aircraft and their their entire fighter squadrons are um, full of these planes that look just like the F-22. I mean, when you see the designs, other than the fact the plane has a different flag on it and maybe a slight modification, it looks just like the F-22. And it can do everything the F-22 does. Problem with us is because of politics and also this desire to make us uh, more vulnerable, we took the F-22 out of production and we abandoned and stopped making all the manufacturing plants, tool and die and everything like that. So even if we wanted to hasten the production of the F-22, it's not like we could just turn on the machines and start making them again. We'd have to rebuild the factories. The F-35, which has replaced it, is only argued as as better by the people who built the plane because they're of course in it for money and we've we've contracted for like two thousand three hundred two thousand four hundred 
F-35s. The problem with the F-35, if it's it's like one of those, do you ever have one of those fax machines that also is a copier? It does, um, you know, maybe does your coffee, like a multiple. Yeah, the multifunction. Yeah, the multifunctioning. And the problem with a multifunctioning machine is it doesn't do anything, anything well. well. Yeah. And that's what the F-35 is. It doesn't have the range of the F-22. It doesn't have the the profile to avoid detection from radar. It, it's It's not as stealth. It can't go as fast. Um, it doesn't carry as much ordnance. One of the problems with it being doesn't have the range is that now you have to bring the aircraft carriers closer to enemy territory to be able to launch these planes. And now, so now you've subjected a village of 5,000 people on an aircraft carrier to danger because you've got F-35s instead of F-22s on your craft. But interesting, isn't it, that in light of all of that, it's not the F-35 that they have to use to take out the balloon. It's the F-22 that they've mm. already taken out of service. So there is one bit of good news, and this ties into all of our discussion about how states can actually take on this Chinese threat. Now, this is what's exciting about this, Gary, is it's actually a town council that took out the Chinese threat. What? Yeah, so we touched on this subject uh, a number of episodes ago, but it came to resolution this week. So there was a Chinese corn mill project in North Dakota uh, Grand Forks. And the problem was, it was another one of these uh, land purchases planned by the Chinese Communist Party through an entity, an entity that actually had a Chinese name, uh, Fuang Fuang, I believe is what it was called. But they were going to purchase property a couple miles away from an Air Force base and a couple of, uh, like 67 miles away from um, a NORAD command <laughs> control. NORAD, by the way, is what was where all the communication was going on to follow this balloon. So there had been public protests, but there was no movement against this Chinese land purchase until the balloon incident last week. And the balloon incident was such national media and everybody paid attention to it that the town council of Grand Forks, North Dakota, responded with a five to zero, a unanimous vote. They said, nope, you cannot build this. We're going to terminate the purchase. Wow. So American freedom secured at the, at the local level. Yeah. It's Absolutely incredible. inspiring. So if you don't, if you ever hear your town council, if you inspiring. ever hear Mayor Borden Alderman, if you hear Williamson County Commission ever say, oh, we can't do that. That's national security. That's federal. No, you can actually control some of these decisions right at the local level. I found that inspiring. That is inspiring. I mean, that, and that's gonna, those are the actions that we're going to have to take from here on out if we have any, you know, I've said this several times from the stage, you know, when we have a Tennessee Stands event, like, the federal government is not coming to save you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, they're, <laughs> and, remember, they're coming after you. Yeah, right. They're, they may be doing the opposite. And so it really is a matter of, of practicing that idea of sovereignty and and federalism and really taking control of those decisions. And like you said, even the decisions that many think, well, we can't do that. That's it, I, You can imagine it's, it's very similar to a, apples and oranges to some degree, but look at a state like Texas who – has a, a a state border shared with a national border mm-hmm. that the federal government refuses to yep. secure. And so the state is, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I, I've still got, I lived there for 10 years and I've got a lot of friends there. And it's, it is changing. Not only has it changed significantly in the last 20 years, but it's, it's just rapid pace now. It's, yeah. it's on so many areas are unrecognizable. 
uh, because of what illegal immigration has done to that state. It's just it's just changed the state completely. And in terms of infrastructure and education, the whole thing all the way all the way down. But I mean, at the end of the day, though, the state of Texas also has a sovereign duty and a sovereign authority to defend its own yep, borders um, from intrusion. And so I think Governor Abbott's made some moves to secure the border there in Texas and, and spending their own cash to do so. But those are the types of things that we we have to do from here on out. It's no more, well, you know, call your congressman and ask them, no, the hell with that. Yeah. Get with get with your state legislature, or like you said, yeah, your, or even your county board, mm-hmm. and get it done. You know, it's uh, I do want to make a, a note on that point about Texas and the border and, and the border states. In two weeks from today, we're going to have uh, Russ Vogt, Center for Renewing America, on as our guest, and he's going to talk about that because that whole initiative of encouraging governors what their actual constitutional authority mm-hmm. is in the event of eva- in, in invasion, that was all the brainchild of Center for Renewing America and their president and founder, Russ Vogt, is going to be our guest in two weeks. Look forward to that. That'll be fantastic. Definitely looking forward to that. Do we know anything about – so we, we talked about the balloon and all this. So do we know anything about what just happened in Alaska? Because I, I saw that literally just before we walked in. No, hopefully we, – we, sh- we shot something down, apparently. <laughs> yes, yeah, so hopefully – it's kind of funny. Not funny from a national security threat, but you never know what to believe. All that we got as we walked into the studio today was this note that at 40,000 feet, there was a flying object. When have we ever in American history – not identified. It was a fighter. It was a yeah. drone. It was a balloon. No, this was an unidentified object that they shot down, but they knew it was a threat. Mm. Now, how can you know it's a threat if you don't know what it is? Yeah. What What was the description? It's as big as a car. Big as a car. <laughs> and they shot it down before it got to the coast of Alaska in our sovereign water. They said it actually landed on frozen water, which most people would call ice. But I thought it was funny. They called it frozen water. Interesting. All right, so let's go out with some uh, some love music, being that it's the day after Valentine's Day when this runs, and again, it was a uh, it was a freezing cold day. It was four degrees in Philadelphia the day that I met my wife. Really? And uh, I was unprepared. I had no winter coat. I was oh, just I was she, just in a blazer. Did she let you borrow her coat? No, I would never would have fit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was freezing, and. Um, she came in that day, and she won my heart, and um, I never got it back. That's fantastic. You said 35 years? 36 years. 36 years. Yeah, 1987. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. (laughs) 